Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. Today, we have a very special guest from the Comics Collective podcast and from Comics Twitter. You may know her as at Ann Comics, where she'll occasionally wage war with Pax here over shirtless Aquaman. <laughs> Please welcome Carol Ann. Hi, everyone. Okay, thank you for that. And I promise I'll keep things very civil today. We will not bring up any sort of orange scale wear at all today. I promise. I'd completely forgotten about Shirtless Aquaman. It blanked from my brain while I was preparing the podcast. Okay, so I see how little our conversations mean to you. Okay, cool. I get it. It's fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a very big I think Shirtless Aquaman is a very big deal. I think it's, it's a very important <laughs> topic. It's very close to my heart. I think our rivalry on the matter is pretty serious. So, like, just mm-hmm. just glad to see we can get that acknowledged. So It might be the great divide of comic Twitter is, is those yeah. uh, foreign mm-hmm. games Shirtless Aquaman, really. It's going to lead to the first civil war. It's going to happen. Yeah, except, you know, we're here to talk about Gwen, not Arthur, so... Okay, well, I'll get your yeah. take on it later, Abigail. I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a dodge from taking aside there. I can, I can exactly. Help I could feel it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so our podcast about Spider Gwen. Um, exactly. I'm remembering it. Um, yes. So uh, for this week's week Gwen update. Uh, we have uh, one piece of news, and that's that the uh, the animated series we mentioned last week, Spidey and His Amazing Friends, which happens to star Gwen, has been renewed for a second season. So apparently, it did reasonably well there. So that's that's like, good. Like Ooh. I'm just glad that preschoolers are gonna grow up getting to know Gwen better and Miles too, because that's enough Peter Parker probably for not not everything has to be about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's still. He's still the center of attention, but I, I like that in 15 to 20 years, this might manifest enough Spider-Gwen fans that have grown up that they might be able to sustain a Spider-Gwen ongoing again. Yeah. We can Who hold knows? out that long, right? No, I can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, we're I'm just waiting for something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the November solicits. Uh, is it November? Yep. November solicits dropped. There was no Ghost Spider comic on the book. So it looks like that's another month without a new Ghost Spider ongoing. And I'm now at the point now where it may be that they're just not planning one. I have to imagine that they will have to have an ongoing with Gwen in at least by the time Into the Spider-Verse 2 comes out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know until then. Maybe it's just... it's just I, There's no, no way of knowing, I don't think. We would just settle for a mini at this point right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think anything wrapping up the stuff that Maguire was doing here, because yeah, like the end arcs didn't didn't get finished, and I think anything just to give some kind of closure would would be nice. Yeah. So, but we're just hoping that Marvel drops some hints on their a uh, big birthday uh, celebration next week. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That'll be that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Um. Yeah. So this week we we are starting a new. New run. It's a new new Spider Gwen run ish. You could say it's a brand new day, couldn't you? I mean, it's... wait, is that a, is that a no go? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if what, the pun works. Or I've I've, n- I've not heard of this. What is brand new day? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I, I just um... 
I made a I made a promise to myself from everyone on Spider-Man podcast in any way, shape, or form. I just <laughs> instantly tank myself. No, it's that's okay. I just I, I for some reason whenever I hear this phrase "brand new day," I just see like uh, an image of Dan Slot in my brain. I don't <laughs> and and that's it. Like I, my eyes go red, my vision blows. Yeah, you know that um, actually sounds like a pretty common side effect. So I think you're okay. That sounds pretty normal. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So so long as uh, it's uh, yeah okay. So long as it's the the average reaction, that's fine then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, right. Uh, yes. So uh, this week we are starting uh, Spider Gwen. Ghost Spider, which is the uh, new ongoing title that picked up after the end of the Latour Rodriguez uh, Renzi Spider Gwen run. So their era ended, uh, their run ended as we covered last week, and this very very soon after they started this new run with Sean Maguire writing, which is very cool. And this week the main artist is Rosie Campe with Ian is it Ian Herring. Yep, Ian Herring on colors. So that's the sort of that's the art team for this week. There's a bit of Takeshi Maezawa who will take over for next arc, but but yeah, it's mostly Rosie Camper here. So that's the new creative team, and they're dealing with the new status quo. So that's uh, that's with Gwen having a public identity instead of a secret one. That's with no Matt Murdock. Uh, that's with uh, Gwen now being an ex-con. Um, all of these things are sort of being the consequences of the end of the old run, and, and Sean Maguire is picking up with that. So uh, this is, it's not a great, like, it's not great when a new comic starts and it's got to be a tie into something, but I think they pull it off okay here. It's tying into the uh, Christmas Gage written, uh, George Molina drawn Spider-Geddon event, which we're not reading. We're not, we're not covering that. It's a whole other thing. Yeah, we'll cover it another day. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do it at some point in the future, but because this is such a sort of fairly self-contained arc in of itself we felt quite comfortable just giving it its own episode to breathe because this is this is really where most of gwen's characterizations from the event um all of the choices she makes all of the interesting stuff that happens to her is more or less in this in this run in, in this run in this arc sorry so that's mm-hmm. that's why we're sticking with it like that so if you want to know where to buy and what to read what we're going to do is we're going to link with details to the spider gwen bibliography slash reading list in the description uh, as well as like comiXology links um, just to note the reading list also does have a little little bit on like other places where you can buy it than comiXology so like marvel Unlimited and where you would find your local comic store etc um those, those sort of information on if you want to physically buy the comic we do recommend you read it before listening to this episode so oh can i give the uh, background since you're gonna start off the uh, synopsis Yes, sorry, I'm getting carried away. Go for it, yep. Okay, so a little bit of background to uh, Spider-Geddon. This is a sequel to 2014's uh, Spider-Verse by Dan Slott. So how it ended, the Inheritors, they were imprisoned on Earth 3145, which is a radioactive Earth, which is um, what the Inheritors are weak to. And so how they managed to come back is... Otto Octavius, who is known as the superior octopus at this time, that was all because of clone conspiracy, which we'll be also be covering another day because there's too much convolution going on around there with Otto. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, Otto used the jackal and the inheritor Genix's cloning tech to create clone bodies of himself to upload his mind into just in case if he dies. But then the inheritors took advantage of that by hacking his tech to create clone bodies for themselves to return to Earth 616. Just love that it's all Otto's fault. That makes so much sense. 
I, I, you know, he, he, he starts on a good streak and he gets, he ends up getting himself in trouble. I feel bad for him. He's still having a raw time of it even now in Spencer's mm-hmm. run. Um, yeah, I would say there's some supervillains. They have very specific beef with all of the spider people across the multiverse. And uh, whenever they're back, they have to fight a big war against them. Uh, they're the same people from Spider-Verse. They're, um, I cannot remember his name. Morlin? Morlin. I was going to say Morbius, but that was wrong. Uh, <laughs> Mor- they're Morlin's family, except sort of slightly more organized. Um, but yes, that's basically what this is about. It's happening in the background, right? It's the context for Gwen mm-hmm. getting scooped up into the situations that she ends up in in this arc. Although all the situations she ends up in are fairly well set up by the comic itself here. So should we start our synopsis, Reed? Yep, let's yeah. dive in. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. So um, what we do every every week uh, is we have a synopsis sort of slash summary of the event so that we all remember what happens. We're all on the same page. And then after that, we'll get into our thoughts. So uh, I'll start reading that now. Um, and yeah, okay, great stuff. So begins. Now a free woman, Gwen swings through the city reflecting on her freedom and spots a woman being mugged in an alleyway. After she webs the muggers up with ease, the woman thanks and hugs her to Gwen's surprise. Glad that Gwen is back in action. Continuing through the city, Gwen finds that she is hungry but has no money for food. Spotting her friend Harry Osborne, she meets up with him and he buys them burgers. Gwen talks about her struggles to readjust to life as an ex-convict of Harry before being suddenly called by Spider-Ham to help in a new multiversal spider totem war. After some fighting, Gwen ends up lost in the multiverse without her web watch, grieving the losses sustained in the fighting. As Gwen gets her bearings on this new Earth-3109, she heads for Oscorp to see if she can get the help of this Earth's Harry Osborn. Finding the building abandoned, Gwen is attacked by the goblin of this reality. This goblin is completely nonsensical, and Gwen is unable to have a rational conversation with her. Gwen is startled by a voice from the sidelines, and the goblin escapes. The voice belonged to Peter Parker of this reality, who is shocked by the violence of the situation. Gwen reveals herself to him and her origin from an alternate reality. He is unconvinced at first, but after Gwen saves him from a pumpkin bomb mine thing that detonates close by, he accepts Gwen's story. Gwen asks Peter for help in getting back to the fight in the multiverse by Peter relates the story of Earth-3109, how he created the spider that bit Harry Osborn and gave him spider powers while the Gwen Stacy here armed herself with a glider and biotechnology. Together they became the superheroes, Spider-Man and the Goblin. Upon the tragic death of both Harry and one of her bombs accidentally causing rubble to fall and kill her father George Stacy, Gwen's grasp on reality was lost, and her biotechnology drove her to become a supervillain without a proper memory of the time before the tragedy. Peter tells Gwen that he will not help her return to the multiverse until they get Gwen 3109 back. Peter and Mary Jane, who is very close with Gwen, have been conspiring against the Goblin for years that they need Spider-Woman's help in doing this. Gwen reluctantly accepts meeting up with MJ of this Earth as well, who is shocked and then skeptical of how useful Gwen can be in getting the Goblin to stop. They go to the Betty Brandt and Glory Grant of 3109, who are both investigative reporters working on the case of Gwen Stacy and the Goblin. Together they review photos of possible hideouts that that the Goblin could be using until Gwen spots the warehouse the Mary Janes used back on Earth-65. Gwen and MJ travel to the warehouse with Betty and Glory covertly in pursuit. Though they are in the dark about Gwen and the Goblin's identity, they suspect the truth and arrive at the warehouse a few minutes after Gwen and MJ get there. 
The goblin ambushes Gwen and they fight. Spider-Woman pleads with the goblin to stand down. The goblin only gets more agitated at Spider-Woman's similarity to her Harry Osborne until Mary Jane talks her down. Gwen3109 relents and breaks down, asking MJ for help. The two embrace while Gwen65 asks that Betty and Glory report none of this. Gwen reminds Peter and MJ of their deal to get her back to the war in the multiverse, and they get to work. With Gwen3109 fully disconnected from the goblin's biotechnology, she's able to assist and create a key to the multiverse, a device uniquely locked to Gwen's physiology that lets her travel interdimensionally again. They say their goodbyes, and Gwen goes to fight again. Now jumping to after Spider-Geddon has occurred, Gwen grieves the deaths and losses she has faced considering her mother, Peter Parker, and now her close ally, Billy Braddock, Spider-UK. Billy appears to her as a hallucination slash apparition rallying her for the funeral she is about to attend. The web warriors, including Gwen, hold a cremation for the master weaver, Khan, the protector of the web of reality, who is responsible for much of the interdimensional travel. Each spider totem offers thoughts or eulogy. Gwen laments the deaths of Khan, Noir, and Billy as Spider-India consoles her. As the only one left with access to interdimensional travel, Gwen is left responsible for letting the families of the spider totems killed in action know. Another funeral is held for Billy Braddock on Earth 803, home of Lady Spider. At the wake, Gwen goes off on her own to grieve at Billy's grave. Peter 616 noticed this and comforts her. She asks if she can stay on Earth 65 for a while now, and he reassures her that that is okay and that's not selfish to rest. Gwen returns to Earth 65, reflecting on the nature of grief and tragedy, as if we befriend and welcome the ghosts or memories of those who we loved so that their legends never die. And this has been Spider Geddon! Great stuff. <laughs> that's just me being metal again. <laughs> yes. So, yes, the full name of this particular trade is Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, Spider-Geddon, which is three hyphens. Um, fun. Um, like, I so, felt like, in retrospect, they should have called it Gwen Stacy, Ghost Spider. Yes. I think if they do a new one, they should call it that. So that Gwen's name is in there. I feel like when Gwen's name isn't in the title, people are less inclined to buy it. But the moment's in there, people, for some reason, they, they're more... I don't know, it's better for the marketing. Yeah, because... Um... It relates to her more, I guess. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But yeah, for for this uh, ten ten issues, uh, the name of the title is unfortunately stuck on Spider Gwen Ghost Spider, which is interesting to say the least. Definitely a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. It, it's mm -hmm. it's a lot of lot of syllables, a lot of yeah. s's. Okay, give that hyphen some love. The hyphen doesn't get out <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also a colon in there. Shout out to Collins. Yeah. Yep, it's really it's it's a punctuation fest. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, it's a it's a good. It's a, I I really like this arc. Actually, I think like it's probably one of probably one of my favorite arcs. This one actually, I I know I say this a lot. It's probably one of my favorite arcs, but I do mean it for this one particularly. Uh, very good, very very good. And uh, we pick up with Sean and Maguire writing, and I think she she sort of writes Gwen differently. Like uh, mm -hmm. we mentioned this last week. We're not having the Stacy swear jar anymore. Well, not for a while, anyway. Yeah, maybe not for a bit. There's, there's no swearing here. Uh, Maguire's Gwen, I would say, is still Gwen, but it's definitely written differently. Less salty. Less salty, which is, you know, maybe she's mellowed a lot from all of the beatings and printing out. That's not. Uh, <laughs> she's she. I, I would have thought she'd be rough, rougher around the edges, but 
but yeah, she's not. She seems a lot more mellow after all the prison stuff. I was gonna um, say, do you think that has something to do with the fact that's like a lot of that prison stuff was just her like I need to do time for the stuff that's been weighing on me before, and now that she's done that, it isn't weighing on her as heavily. Like obviously, her losses are still clearly there, and they still clearly hurt. Cause a lot of this arc is about her loss, but maybe now that she feels like she's not made amends for, but at least she's done something in that regard. Do you think that might have, if I was to like headcan a reason for her not swearing as much and for why she seems mellowed out, does that seem fair? I think that, I, no, I think, I think that's right. There's definitely a less disordered approach to Gwen dealing with her trauma from this point on out. Like after sort of admitting, I think after owning up to everything in the previous run, she isn't as bogged down by guilt over specific things she's obviously very sad about mm-hmm. things like this is, a, this is a very sad arc people die and stuff but she but the guilt that she feels and the way she puts on herself isn't as um like heavy yeah it isn't as heavy you know like mm-hmm. uh, throughout throughout the little tour run she's always punishing herself for for sort of the guilt that she feels of like, killing peter and such but now uh, she's sort of perhaps just reached a more constructive point in her life and uh, she can i guess you could say that um by the end of the latour one she's already at the acceptance stage of you know the five stages of grief because you could kind of see that she was going through the five stages yeah yeah i see that yeah and then mcguire's mm-hmm. run she just continues on that acceptance stage but then after spider geddon she just um regresses back into wait what's before acceptance depression I, yeah, I, I mean, she's trying to recontextualize Billy's death among all of the other deaths that she's she's already sort of dealt with perhaps more constructively. And, and the responsibility, I think, weighs on her a lot, I think, after that as well, because she also has to go and talk to each of these individual mm-hmm. families. And she has to use two, two funerals in this one issue at the end. And yeah, I think there's a lot of grieving going on. I don't, but a bit, I think, yeah, she is handling it better than than what she did before and but she keeps bringing up that she's convinced that um that death loves her and keeps following her around i think like even throughout the whole mcguire era this plot beat keeps coming up absolutely yeah say i really like that beat in the fourth issue like um i'll be honest the first three issues of this arc were kind of iffy for me maybe it's just because this read through is my first read through and there's a lot where it's like okay this is you know a pretty average spider gwen story this is just this is an average comic i'm having fun with it it's not like stellar to me but i hit this fourth issue and just the way she talks about her relationship with death and the people that have passed that was phenomenal storytelling for me this fourth issue is one of the best spider gwen issues i've ever read yeah no i i think it's uh after the debut issue number four here's my favorite mm-hmm yeah, no, and, and and it's for that reason because it, it contextualizes the story in a really interesting way. Like, mm-hmm. and and it's it's also like acknowledging the death of Gwen six one six because as a reader, you read Spider Gwen, and you read her as a sort of resurrected, like it's this is this is a character you've known from the past who sort of been brought back, at an at a narrative level. Is that the right word? At an editorial level. I um, at a, at a you know, and and yeah. you sort of see her that way. And and this is a sort of in in the context of the universe, a way of acknowledging that for the reader, that this is a, this is a ghost of, this is a character who has died in mm-hmm. the past. And um, I think contextualizing it like that and with all of the grief and the way that this character deals with emotions and the way that these comics deal with, with dealing with trauma and tragedy, 
it grounds all of it, I think, and it ties it together nicely beyond just being a sort of standard superhero sort of story. It's it's grounded in the grief and the tragedy of of a character dying, um, right. which is, I think, is probably one of the very strongest aspects of Spider-Gwen Go Spider-Comics. Yeah, because I was, this is the first arc I've read where she's taken up the, you know, starting to take up the ghost spider mantle, I guess. And mm-hmm. especially that last page where she's like, I'm done letting the fact that, you know, I'm basically a dead woman. I'm done letting that, like, control me in this way. I'm going to own it. I'm going to, like she says, legends never die. I'm going to embrace the ghost story that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to, you know, keep, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, the right word for it. Because it's um honoring someone's legacy and honoring the death and the pain that's been around her and followed her through so many worlds. And using that to strengthen her and to define her, I think is a very powerful thing. I love it when characters add part of that to who they are, to their mantle. I have to uh, point out that although she's slowly becoming Ghost Spider in terms of uh, her name, mm-hmm. she doesn't officially adopt it until um, the end of Impossible Year, the next arc, because um, yes, like during the beginning of Spider-Geddon, she... She's already tired of being called Spider-Gwen by the media and the public. Mm-hmm. And she keeps saying that she needs a new code name. And Ghost Spider, the name, like, it was actually also partially inspired by Miles's comment back in Spider-Geddon number five. When um, he asked her if it's really her and not just a ghost. And she says that she likes the sound of that. Yeah, I think what's happened here, and they were always conscious of it in the Spider-Gwen run, because they, re- they realized they couldn't call her Spider-Woman, and they realized they were calling her a name, which, like, practically his difficulty is, like, Spider-Gwen, you can't use it in any adaptations if you wanted to have a secret identity. It doesn't, like, as a superhero mantle, it doesn't quite work. But between the end of the Latour run and this run, editorially, they've made a decision to call this character Ghost Spider. And throughout this arc, they are laying the setup for that. And they're trying mm-hmm. to work that into the narrative more so, I think. And I also thought that it was also because they wanted to uh, synergize it with Marvel Rising, where she was renamed Ghost Spider first before the comics ever did it. Yeah. So the comics do it because of the game? Or did the game did the game just have the head start on the comics? Because even oh, though it wasn't a game, it was um animated series of specials. Oh, right. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. I think Marvel Rising was just just had a head start. I think editorially they'd made this decision and mm-hmm. that they started putting it on any new Spider Gwen properties which were popping up. So obviously the, I think the first one of those would have been Marvel Rising. Then of course there's this book. They found a way in Spider Geddon. Even during the uh, Marvel Spider-Man cartoon where she was initially called Spider-Gwen by the public because she wanted to be famous. But mm-hmm. then next season, uh, she just decided to uh, officially adopt Ghost Spider. Yes, because um, she actually she has a public identity when she starts out as Spider-Gwen in that cartoon. And then when she starts using Ghost Spider, I think it is because she has a secret identity at that point, right? Probably because... They're thinking that everyone must have forgotten about what happened during Spider Island, but uh, Pete recognized her like as Spider Gwen before Gwen corrected him. Right. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I I do think that like, yeah, as, as a sort of branding thing, it is a it is a branding thing at the end of the day, but it is done like it's a good name, like in terms of how it fits narratively, that it sort of gets a pass. I think like if you read this comic, I think you'd have a hard time raising issue with the name. And what it means for the character. 
Yeah, I think the seeds are definitely here. The seeds get planted, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to read the next arc because if that's where she actually picks it up, I want to see how this grows into that that like blossoming tree that is a ghost. That metaphor doesn't work. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think in terms of narratively, like number four is definitely the best. It's sort of driving it home mm-hmm. when she does actually have to have the name. It is a smaller moment than I think any of the ones that we get here in this issue number four at least and did you know that this was actually foreshadowed back in spider gwen number 34 when uh when they propose that they go on tour glory mentions that while they do their concerts gwen can go around helping people like a friendly ghost huh yes so i didn't know that so (laughs) Mm, i i don't know i think gwen has just by virtue of her costume drawn comparisons to looking like a ghost Mm -hmm. like you can um I remember there's another instance similar to that one way, 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 way before. Um, so just after the sitting in the tree arc in the Bendis Spider-Man Miles Morales comics, um, his dad makes a comment to the effect of Gwen being a ghost looking spider person. And I think the character does look like a ghost. And and yeah, like I think it just draws that comparison anyway, regardless of any editorial decision being made yet. Right. Yeah, and did you know that in uh, Rising, the reason in universe why she's called that, uh, other than the absence of Peter or not being in Peter's shadow, is that it's because of her stealth. That was not a good... That was a decision. That was a choice that was made. Yeah. But, you know, I like the Rising Gwen. Duff Cameron's fun. Yep. That's a, that's a fun... So, my question... Like, I get the... I get her more than I did before taking up the, the ghost spider mantle. I know we were joking earlier about like how long the title was. Do you really think they needed to put ghost spider in the title? Because she was spider woman before, but that wasn't in the title. They just called it spider Gwen. So like, why couldn't they just keep calling this run spider Gwen and just change the mantle on the page? I think it's because they, they wanted to uh, slowly phase her out of um the spider Gwen name and like a, like what I said before, synergize it with Marvel Rising. It's kind of mm-hmm. like that transition period uh, to Ghost Spider. I don't think they would have stuck with this long term. Yeah, so purely marketing, just seeing if it would stick. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like uh, when uh, so, so Spider Gwen Ghost Spider ends after 10 issues, the title just called Ghost Spider with the exact same creative team immediately picks up with ghost spider number one the month after Mm -hmm. and that that runs for 10 issues so i think it was always planned i think they went okay we've got a title called spider gwen and we want to call the title ghost spider but nobody will know that that is spider gwen so for a while we're just going to call it spider gwen ghost spider um, hyphens and all dc would never and we're going to do that um and and that's the route they went so yeah it's um it's not a great title like but again all of that i think it's it's just marketing it's just like you know that they're, they're just thinking of well people know it's the same character if we just jump straight from spider gwen to ghost spider mm-hmm. so yeah and and they they sort of mostly stop using the name spider gwen once they started calling her ghost spider so i think that's part of it like they actively want to push against that name as well so i, I think that comes into it as well and I'm also thinking that, you know, for a name like Ghost Spider, you'd think that she'd use the symbiote's camouflage abilities more, but she doesn't. That's a good point. That would be more interesting. I'd be I'd be here for that. Yeah. Like, And speaking of, like, she's handling the symbiote much better right now. 
yeah, like it almost feels underutilized in this sort of arc, and yeah, because at least compared to how it has been. I was reading it. I was like, because I had just like skimmed over the Wikipedia before this. I'm like, doesn't she have the the Venom symbiote on her right now? And she doesn't. I don't think yep. she uses it until like the last issue or two just to switch costumes. Yeah, she uses it to change her clothes, mm-hmm. which was cool in the fourth issue, especially when she tw- when she does on like Spider Gwen Noir and like the Victorian Spider Gwen. I thought those were really cool. Yes, but like, is that all the costume can do, or can it? do other things like you said it can make her turn invisible and we never saw that once so that was right that's interesting yeah i i think like right, so the thing you remember is like gwen is actually depowered she was depowered in spider women right. and mm-hmm. stayed depowered so gwen is like when she uses her super strength or she web slings all of that's a symbiote Got technically it. speaking um it's just i think she's just adapted it to her costume and the writer i think at least at first with this run was hesitant to really use it much outside of the costume changing so we don't see much of that in fact the camo thing is is only a thing which happens one time in the latour run let alone any times in the maguire run so yeah it's definitely underused at this point in this run i think and they do the cool costume changes though which is really fun yeah but it was acknowledged during uh, number one where um the goblin kept attacking her you know the symbiote eked out a little bit when gwen was getting irritated yes yeah, maybe that's a reason. Cause I know that she has a little bit of a control problem with the symbiote, so maybe she doesn't utilize it like a hundred and ten percent because she doesn't want to push it further than she, you know, absolutely can. That was something that crossed my mind. I think that would be that would line up. I think with its appearances, like I think I think Maguire was more keen to use it when she is angry. There's mm-hmm. there's some other fights down the line where she does get quite angry where it comes out, but even then, I think. Until maybe the last arc, you don't see very much symbiote stuff, and it isn't a real like visually, it doesn't come up a huge amount. Takeshi Maezawa, I think, draws it better because at this point, it's still the spiders thing. The way Rosie Campe draws the symbiote, it's the spiders, and only the spiders. There's not much symbiote goopiness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, minimal goop. Um, and yeah, not not very much goop, and I I think I think the symbiote should be it. I think Gwen's one should be like the cross between the spiders and the goop, but it's just the spiders. And I think initially it's quite confusing to have only the one panel where it randomly comes out as goop, and then all of the other time it's just pure spiders. <laughs> I would say that it's there, and yeah, Gwen's very much on top of it at this point. Yeah, they they do do a bit with it further down the line, but yeah. in this arc, I think she's in a good place. Yeah. I agree with the point that it should be drawn with um, goopiness because oh, one thing, she ain't called Spider's Woman. Yes. <laughs> spiders. Right. I am Spider's Woman made of a thousand spiders. Right. Wait, there's a Spider's Man, isn't there? Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we don't have a Spider's Woman, but... Someone get Gwyneth Paltrow on the phone because we need more goop. We need more goop. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite, that's quite I'm so, funny. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, if Pepper's seen using a goop product. Oh, that's the most... Cur- that's when the MCU's jumped the shark. That's when they've gone too far. Yeah, that's... um, that, That'll that be it. That'll be the, the end of the MCU. If goop just gets involved... Goop could have saved the universe. Goop could have beat Thanos. Because he would have been dead and said, what the hell is this? I'm done. Mean, this is mean... a weird planet. I'm out. <laughs> he smells the scent of candle and just... <laughs> drives off a certain lady part candle peace 
Now, Thanos would have killed all of us. <laughs> Never mind 50%. Never mind 50%. You're just done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, Back to the symbiote. <laughs> yeah, I like the symbiote. The symbiote is cool. I like that they stuck with it. Like, the thing I was very afraid of with this run, when I was initially reading it, I was like, oh no. They're they're just they're gonna they're gonna go back to the default and just not give her the symbiote like they'll have her drop it for whatever reason and give her spider powers again. But no, they kept up with her keeping the symbiote, which I think is the main thing really, because because there's a lot of story stuff they can derive from that. And I don't like I could get Maguire being a bit hesitant to immediately do symbiote stuff right off the bat. I get that, and she does try and explore it a bit more. I think an arc or two down the line. So there is that. Um, yeah. Because at this point, like, I'm already convinced that the symbiote's already perma-bonded to Gwen. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing they'd pass around. Like, they would a 616 symbiote. I don't think it would work in the same way. Say, I'm trying to remember, did they bring that up at all in the Gwenum versus Carnage arc? Because I don't remember. Um, like, which part? In regards to... Like, um, the symbiote being, like... Did they hint at the fact that the symbiote would, like, only want to be with Gwen? Or that... It behaves in a different way because i'm i think sort of like it has like gwen is able like it never fully leaves her right in that like and and she's able to call to it like it splinters but it mostly belongs to her mm-hmm. yeah so it's yeah i i in in all the interactions i think we've seen with the symbiote the only time it's ever passed her up was the one with wolverine and that was pretty early in the relationship between the two wasn't it yeah like they hadn't yep. bonded at that point and and now we've had canonically a year of a year and a half actually mm-hmm. a year a year and a half and and there's no like they're not introducing other characters who are capable of bonding with the symbiote i think is the is the other thing as well like um it is specifically characters who are able to withstand the radiation which is gwen and not the average person by any means Mm -hmm. and so it's basically other spiders and anybody with a healing factor um so i i think yeah i don't see it jumping about in the same way it's also yeah and it does feel like it has just a relationship with gwen Mm -hmm. and and so i think any any sudden like if it did jump to another character it would have to be the result of introducing somebody who has powers who then also in some way is able to convince it to leave Gwen, like that. They'd have, or it would have to fall out with Gwen in some way. Um, so yeah, it does feel like, like I think narratively, if if they were to introduce a new, like a new host for the Venom symbiote, like they made a new Spider Gwen comic, they introduced a new symbiote host, they had it leave Gwen, like I think, and then they reverted Gwen to her old powers. It would be very dissatisfying after all of what they've sort of built that into, and. Yeah, I think I very much prefer Gwen as a symbiote, super-powered person, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. Yeah, remember when I tweeted out that if Symbiophis became a thing, she should go there and then Spider-Office just gets her on the weekends? Yeah, yeah, that's the, I think that would that would make sense. Because I think she would get along with the other symbiote hosts very well. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, they can show her the ropes. Yes. Since she's sort of kind of considered the noob. Yeah, I suppose. I was going to say, I like that her symbiote works in a much different way than everyone else's does. So that could that would be a nice little addition there. I want, I want to see her interact with more symbiote people. That would be cool. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, we, I think we've mentioned Eddie Brock before on the podcast. Scream needs an ongoing at the moment. Gwen needs an ongoing. Yeah, she needs to meet Andy. Yeah, or give give them a team up comic or something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, um, I say Scream, but I don't. I don't Andy's in a weird place with Scream at the moment. They're in a bit of a rough spot. So I, I whatever whoever Andy is with, whichever symbiote Andy ends up with, they could give team up comic there. Because yeah, you didn't read Lasher yet, did you? Uh no no but the timeline spoils all so yeah um, <laughs> unfortunately but yeah it's um I think there's like I, there's a lot to explore there with the symbiote stuff I they could do arc after arc sort of of that and I'd I'd eat it all up it'd be great I'd enjoy that so much and I keep saying this all the time that um they should lean her more into horror territory because well going a bit further with this four of her current rogues are in horror territory. Yeah, that's your Clay McLeod Chapman agenda, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Clay McLeod Chapman. If you're hearing this right now, um, can you drop a hint? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they should give him more comics. Absolutely. So I I do like the direction they're sort of going in with Gwen here. I do wish they'd maybe take into account the prison stuff more. Because even though they touch on it a couple of times here, I do feel like overall they, they sort of gloss over it after this point. But I feel like that would be a very traumatizing thing. Yeah. Like the year in prison, the beating, the corrupt guards, the electroshock stuff, the not being able to use a symbiote very much during that time period. All of that feels like emotionally that would be impacting her more, especially because this is looking at her grief and her tragedy and such. And I realize it's focusing more on death, but I do feel like the the prison stuff would would take some time to get over at least. I, I and and we really only get a few panels of dialogue directed at it, and I think they should dwell on it more. Really, did most of that happen at the end of the last run, like where we actually get to see it? Yeah, mm-hmm. does yeah, it ever get addressed so... again? Probably it's, not, but it's no, come up a few times. Gwen's status is like an ex-con, or is somebody who isn't liked by the general public. Mm-hmm. Occasion that 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 is a theme they touch back on, but okay. the fact that Gwen spent a year in prison, and it was not a very good prison, and and she was very sort of deeply unhappy with the situation, and it was violent and such, that isn't touched upon as much. And I I do think that was a mistake. I do think. They miss they miss a beat not touching on that maybe. Perhaps that's you know it's like you said it's hard starting an entire comic run in the middle of an event because mm. it's like that you want to use the beginning of your run to solidify what direction you're going in with the character to solidify what you're going to be doing with the world to set up what you're going to be doing in different plots down the line, and this one kind of does it, but to have the first story just happen because another story needs it to felt weird to me like i i was talking to abigail a little bit before the start about how i picked up the first issue of this run long ago when it first came out and i read it and i think by the end of it i had just kind of checked out because i was i picked it up for spider gwen but you know spider hand shows up and then all of a sudden she's on another world and i'm like okay this is tying into an event that i'm not following at the moment I think I'm going to let this one slide. I'll come back to it eventually. And when the events pass, I'll come back to it. And I just don't think I ever did because I don't think the first issue gave me enough of what they wanted to do with Gwen as a character 
for me to continue. But going going back, I'm glad I did because I, I get more of a taste of that. And I think that Shannon really did all that she could for having to, you know, start where she did. And I think the story definitely works on its own without the event. Like I was never lost. So that's that's a good thing. But I don't think it's an ideal situation. No, and I, I, we reflected on this a lot in the last episode was mm-hmm. that essentially the Latour run is like free, almost completely free editorial control for like 34 issues and plus an annual. And they were able to plan that out and do all the arcs they wanted and to do events where Gwen was a major character. Mm-hmm. And, and now what you've got is a situation where they've, they've handed it over to a new creative team who do not have this luxury. Mm-hmm. They, they have these editorial mandates. They have this event. They have the rename to do. And then they have to try and pick up everything that the last run was doing. And and yeah, I do think a lot is lost because of that. Like if they'd given Sean and Maguire a normal arc to start with, what would the whole run have looked like? And and it's mm-hmm. it's it's the yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, this is I think, in my opinion, a very good starter Spider Gwen comic. Like if you said, I can only read four issues of Spider Gwen, what do you recommend? This I think is a nice place to sort of pick up the character and, and it's particularly to understand those themes around like tragedy and grief, like specifically for number four. Um, I think it's a very, very good arc. I do think that even with the faults we mentioned in terms of like the editorial decisions and it being a tie in the overall, just the way this contextualizes Gwen and Gwen's character without being bogged down in any longer running arcs for the character just yet, I think makes it quite good for that. Um, and yeah, number four is such an excellent issue. It's it's yeah, it's it's hard not to like and and sort of really appreciate what the character stands for after reading number four. So I think, um, you know, uh, off the back of that, I I do I do think it does a lot for Gwen's character and and for the the direction they want to take those themes. It's quite good. Yeah, number four is definitely a genuine highlight. For real, yeah, and like the moment is sort of a breather after the event that like they can do stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, which is yeah. It's good. So it fits as a very good epilogue, especially if I've never read the story. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. If you read Spider Geddon and you like mm-hmm. Spider Geddon, but you haven't read Spider Gwen Ghost Spider Number Four, read Spider Gwen Ghost Spider Number Four because it contextualizes that event as well. It's it's dealing it. with the character's death mm-hmm. from that. It's dealing with the aftermath of them not being able to travel in the multiverse. Like it's doing that at the same time, which is yeah, it's done quite well. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. Although I, I can't imagine anybody would listen this far into the podcast after and they were reading Spider Geddon and not Spider Gwen Goes Spider Man before, but uh, I'm, I'm, that's, that's a mouthful. Um, but yes, it's it, it contextualizes that event as well, very well. Um, and even sets up stuff like the Spider Noir universe. Like, there's, there's touching on characters from that. Like, I think Sean Maguire has gone back and read through Web Warriors and read through some of the Spider-Noir comics, read through all of the sort of the Spider... Like, like she's touching on stuff in a way which feels very... Like, she's picking up the details of it, which is quite interesting. I quite like that. Um, but, yeah. Um, I think we said enough about Gwen so far. Yeah. We... Yeah, and I think um, <laughs> it's time to move on to um, a variant of Gwen because, well, yes. she's like the second most important character here. Mm -hmm. The Gwen Goblin. The Gwen Goblin. When I first saw that in the solicits, you know, I was thinking the irony (laughs) becoming the very thing that killed her. Yeah, I think it's um, definitely, I I think it's a really interesting 
direction to take that character. I like that they sort of they're able to do that with Gwen. Like, and also it's a Gwen that feels very close to Gwen six one six in terms of mm-hmm. it being a sciencey Gwen and not a musicy Gwen. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think the sort of the, the little world they they set up here is quite interesting. You know, with um, the Harry Osborne who's a Spider Man and Gwen sort of inventing and becoming a superhero that uses a glider and pumpkin bombs but isn't evil um well not before she turned evil even though she didn't have formula to turn her evil her tech did yeah it's interesting that it's like is that like the way her mind is interfacing with it it's like when when this tragedy happens it's like she just she's completely stuck in it like she can't like like she's like it's messing with her mind's ability to properly process yeah. trauma. Because I think how Peter explained it was um a feedback loop. Um, her horror feeds her grief, which feeds um something, and then it just keeps looping. Yeah, yeah, and they sort of explore that a little bit, but they only really have I think only two issues here to dig into it. So you have the initial one setting it up, and then the second one they solve it with Mary Jane, really. Mm-hmm. Um. Which, I mean, the subtext there is, it's very clear that they are a thing, right? Because like, um, Gwen was, um, you know, her injuries were being patched up by MJ. MJ al- always visits her office. Mm. Like, it's very, um, like, the mannerisms between the characters there in the panels, like in Campe's art. So, I always try to, like, approach it with just a grain of salt, just because, like, I'm gay, I try not to, like imprint it's like i understand very well that i try to put that on every female character i read i'm like i need them to be in a gay relationship but this one i'm reading it and it just like it struck me i think it was the moment that mj looked at gwen like gwen 65 and said gwenny and i'm like hold up that's this we feel like we are into homosexual territory now i need to pay (laughs) close attention like even when um the goblin was holding that photograph of uh her and mj like hugging Mm-hmm. Like that was the only thing to remember her by. Yeah, that was. Yeah. There's places where it's like you have to invent the subtext for like queer stories a lot of times because it's just not that common. So you have to invent this one. I felt like I had to do no work. It just kind of naturally fell into place. I'm like, it just makes sense to me. It just makes sense whether it's canon or not. It just makes sense. I think we pretty much yeah. had the same um, headset when we were doing uh, Heroes Reborn Night Gwen number one, whether or not if Night Gwen was in a relationship with Misty Knight because um, um, the, the clues were there. Yeah, that I think that one was worse because like here it's clearly it's it's a limit in terms of the amount of panel time they have. Mm-hmm. But in the Night Gwen one, they they absolutely they they had time there. They they should have. I think they should have confirmed that one more. But here, I actually read this and I went away thinking that it was a canonically confirmed thing. Like it was an explicitly stated thing that they were a thing. And it was it, it was only in my rereads and actually talking with people about it that I realized that they don't actually say it out loud and they don't do anything that friends wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to do. It's the safe so, place, you know, when you have like <laughs> corporately monitored comics, it's the safe place you can go. It's as far as you can go without anyone raising an eyebrow. And I would imagine that they are particularly, quote unquote, protective over their spider characters. So unfortunately, I think it's the most we get for a while, but it's the most is sometimes enough for like people 
especially like people like me and people like us to like raise our eyebrows and say, okay, I think I see what you're putting down here. Yeah. And, and I do think that like that there was a, a lot of people who looked at the, the friendship between Gwen and MJ in the Latour run and they saw that subtext, which I do think there is a lot of, um, there is a good case to build for there. But obviously they, they went in the direction with, with MJ and Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so they never really put that in a position to make that a thing. But with here they do. So that I think like it, it is the case that often the best you can get is an alt universe where they never explicitly say it. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal by any means. No, not at but all. It, yeah, it's something, and I do, and I, I do think it comes through kind of thick here. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it like there's hugging, the way they look at each other, mm-hmm. the, the embracing, the yeah, and the yeah. fact that MJ's the only person that the Goblin would listen to. Yeah. Yes, and and MJ being like the special sort of person to talk mm-hmm. the Goblin down, yeah. who is clearly the most emotionally invested in it as well, out of the sort of five mm-hmm. or so people who want to bring the Goblin down. Um, so yeah, that that all comes through. It's the moment you break down and realize oh, they were roommates. So um, <laughs> would we call this the Martha moment? What like like in it's a sort of a where the character has a change of change of heart. Yeah. On account of a, an emotional connection being referenced. Um, yeah. No, I think that's there. Yeah. And um, I I actually think this makes a lot of sense in that regard because, like you said, it's um, Peter said the circuitry is making her relive her grief into her fear into her like you know her loss and everything so to have that good emotional connection that feels like the right thing to break a cycle of bad is just the one speck of good you know so even though it's like it is the the cliche like oh love saved her or friendship saved her it's like it actually fits into the you know the the macguffin of the story it breaks the circuitry because it's designed to yeah, and I think, um, like, I don't, you know, it, it might be a cliche, but it's not a bad narrative yeah. device. Like, if it had never been used before, I don't, I don't think anybody would complain. Yeah, no. Uh, if if that were a thing, so yeah, no, it's it's nice, and it's a nice moment, and I think it's a, yeah, like you say, it work works quite well within within the context of the so the internal logic of the story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I thought the design was interesting as. The Gwen Goblin also wears Chuck Taylors, quite more visibly so. Um, are those supposed to be fishnet stockings? Because they're something. Yeah. It's like they're a decision. They look like fishnets over like leggings. Yes. And utilizing a half mask instead of the usual full goblin mask. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I did like that she uses a, a red wig. I did like that. Or was it purple? It's definitely not blonde. That's what I'm getting no. here. I like when a character yeah. has a wig and they have the, the common sense to not make it their actual hair color. <laughs> Looking at you, Kate Kane. But um, yeah, yeah I, well, I thought that was good. Yeah, it's it, it's a disguise. Like you wouldn't have immediately guessed that it's the Gwen. Outside of yeah. obviously narrative clues from the design, you wouldn't guess that this is yeah. Gwen. And, and like um, a lot of the time you do see supervillain and superhero outfits that are just dead, dead ringers for the put people inside them but here it's mm-hmm. yeah no um yeah and it's a it's a fun design I like the cloak yeah it's i cool. think that that works as a plus and a detriment for it because i really think the revelation that she is the gwen goblin i think that's like the big shock for the story and i really think if that had been the part at the end of the first first issue i probably would have stuck around a little bit longer because as it is right now the first issue ends with that like the stinger where it's like i'm gwen from another universe i need your help that doesn't hook me 
because that's like I've seen this Gwen talk to Peters from another universe plenty of times before. But if I'd seen Gwen Stacy fighting a Green Goblin version of herself, if that's what like I had known that, that that would much more likely have hooked me in than what we actually got. Because like what if this Gwen dropped someone off a bridge during her uh, supervillain phase? <laughs> then I don't think we would have gotten the um the resolution we did. We wouldn't have gotten the um the redemption arc. We wouldn't have gotten yeah. that. Because this Gwen is bad, but she hasn't done anything irredeemable, as far as I've gathered. No, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they don't they don't get too much into what she's been doing as a supervillain. Say, um, I just kind of assumed she was just doing, like, evil, maniacal, I'm gonna patrol this old Oscorp building things because she gets ungoblined and she's just walking around like everything's pretty okay and everyone's pretty chill with her being around, so I'm... Yes, because um, Betty and Glory said that um, she did a lot of good before she did a lot of bad, and then Peter said that she she can't go around breaking things all of the time. That's why mm-hmm. she goes back to the warehouse to recharge. Yeah, so just like common menace, I'm guessing not anything specifically like bloodthirsty. Yeah, well, not to our knowledge, anyway. Not to our knowledge. I feel like if there was, the ending feels a little awkward because. She, I feel like there'd be some trauma for that Gwen as well. Like well, finding out that you've been a supervillain for an unspecified amount of time, that would probably mess someone up too. Yeah, but she seems pretty okay with it. Yeah, it's been mentioned she's been the goblin for years. Really? I, I must have missed that. Yeah, Peter and MJ, like, well, Peter explains to a Gwen 65 that he and MJ have been working against her for years. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I have I have more complex thoughts about the ending now. Logistically, how does this? Logistically, how... my my other question is like, were there no other heroes around to just like stop her? That that I I have too many questions about this universe now. I mean, I I could I could imagine that even if there were, they wouldn't be able to emotionally break through to her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'd be hard. Very curious, but I don't want to break I don't want to break the story down that far. It's like if it worked for me, I don't want to. I don't want to take that away from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I don't know. I think I think there's somewhat reasonable circumstances which could allow for things such as uh, hiding out for a couple of years in a warehouse while she goes around blowing stuff up, trying to figure out her memories. Mm-hmm. I think that could sort of just yeah, that that would sort of cover like a Gwen Goblin prequel story. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I just, I mean, like in terms of trying to the headcanon what one would do for two years or more as a Gwen Goblin who doesn't remember the memories that that would yeah that would work or like because I kind of got the impression that um she probably has lapses between her personalities that you know the Goblin's more dominant but sometimes Gwen will just um show up maybe um I mean she's not acting rationally too much at all the warehouse living i think is because no, yeah because the only thing that um we the only time we see her calm was when she was riding around the city holding that photograph yeah yeah that that that, that checks out yeah um but yeah that's yeah that's the gwen goblin does that wrap up our thoughts on gwen 3109 yeah yeah because there's really not much to say about her without going too far <laughs> without yeah. breaking some things Mm-hmm. Yeah. breaking the internal logic of it yeah um we also see harry osborne uh 65 
in this arc very briefly. And I we sort of wanted to touch on this because really the last time we saw him was in the Gwenam arc and he had been just cured of the lizard mutagen. He had been on the run and it was presumed he was gonna not be a lizard and be better now. And that was the last we saw him. He gets dropped from the Spider-Gwen run after this point. And this is the first time we see him again, and he's doing okay. And he doesn't seem upset about being a lizard person or Gwen or any of the things. He's much, he's very chill. He's very mellow now. Good for him. Yeah, because I think being uh, an irrational lizard person will do that to you. It might. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's Harrow's born. He gets used a bit more later on, actually. He gets, uh, in the next arc particularly... He gets a fair bit of play, but yeah, his his role sort of here is is uh yeah they sort of set him and Gwen up as sort of having um a revived friendship here, which is nice because Gwen doesn't have many friends really, um, so yeah, uh, that's nice. I'm glad for them. And uh, we also get like um, should we talk a little bit about Peter Parker thirty one oh nine? Yeah, um, so he's he's interesting, like because he's he's taken the sciencey route. And he's doing spider stuff, but it's because his Uncle Ben died of cancer, which I thought was a good twist on that, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no burglar because, well, it's because Spider Man wasn't around when, uh, you know, Uncle Ben died. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, that's a very non superhero approach to that story, but it still sort of maps on in, in a few ways. Yeah. And mm-hmm. kind of interesting, too, because isn't canonically uh peter's into quantum physics and stuff that's a very good question does anybody know the answer to it i do not because <laughs> i know he bounces around a lot to physics to engineering um you know speaking as a scientist if you know one science you know all of them i'm a biologist which means i am a master at quantum physics <laughs> that's just how science works i i, I i'm I'm that's exactly you can't prove me wrong thank you for your insight you just have to trust me we have a scientist on the podcast that's also what scientists say right we, we have a scientist on the podcast and we have to listen to that we, we can't argue with this so <laughs> not um, at all I will say this is like Peter went from being like a nerdy kid at school all the way to being like in the top 10 most intelligent people inside of the Marvel Universe just just due mm-hmm. to power creep. Like whenever a writer would pick him up, they'd like add a new thing that he's really good at, really smart doing <laughs> but, to the point no. where we don't even know what kind of science he specializes in. But I don't think he's on the list of smartest people on the planet because um, um, we all know that Moon Girl, she's number one on that list. Yep. Which bumped which bumped everybody down a spot because remember Amadeus Cho was stated to be the seventh until yep. Moon Girl showed up and it bumped everyone that was below her down a slot. Oh, you reckon he was number ten uh, until it was revised? Maybe the only smartest people on the planet that I know in the Marvel universe are the Moon Girl, Cho, Leader, and Modok. Yeah, I, I, I mean. I don't. I. I. I don't. I, I was just thinking of that one comic where they're trying to solve a pandemic, and they just call Peter Parker, and they have him on there with like world scientists and stuff. I pulled up a list, and two different lists have him cited as the fifteenth smartest person in the Marvel universe. Exactly. Right. I, I was. I was five off. Okay. Um. Okay. But so, an, yeah, a nine-year-old girl is leagues smarter than him. Yeah. This is Moon Girl. Good for her. Yeah, Moon Girl is. 
is the most smartest. But yeah, like, and and also like that's an explicit part of her character life. I think for Pete, he he does just sort of inherit whatever science is put on him by the by the writer. Like he's that's a power creep thing. It's not something that he sort of started out with was the point. But yeah, like, um, I think here he's more, he's doing. What does he say? Because he mentions there's something Gwen is good at doing that they'll need her for. And and so he sticks more to the biology aspect. Um, like how, how to get home? Yeah, he says, uh, it's not my field. He talks about Gwen being a mechanical genius. I think, yeah, about um, transversing the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's Pete, which does the biology stuff. Like he talks about studying Harry's physiology and then using that to map onto Gwen. So yeah, like I think there's um, yeah he's he's sort of he's an interesting role. I thought the thing that where he blackmails Gwen to be quite that was an interesting characterization, where he is so determined to bring his Gwen back mm-hmm. that he will prov- he will actively not help. Yeah. Um, Gwen sixty five. I thought was was an interesting mm-hmm. twist there. It's definitely an interesting choice, but it's not like we haven't seen Peter do stuff like this before. Like, you know, it'd be weird if he, I don't know, sold his marriage to the devil to bring his aunt back. I'm not sure. But like, (laughs) he's been a man of questionable repute in several universes. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, um, he's made some decisions. And and, and to be fair, there is a I think there is an ethical argument you could make in his favor here Mm -hmm. um, with with regards to like. And and also practically speaking, it would have been much harder for them to invent interdimensional stuff without right. Gwen thirty one oh nine. So mm-hmm. there is there is that angle on it, but the way it presents him as being willing to actively sabotage Gwen's attempts to get back so that he can keep her around to help with Gwen thirty one oh nine is is uh I thought it was an interesting characterization and he mm-hmm. sticks with that. Yeah. Um he's, he's he seems quite convinced that she can help. Where even Mary Jane thirty one oh nine doesn't. He's got like the mindset of like, you have great power, so you have great responsibility to me. Please help. <laughs> that that's a good point. Yeah, he's he's sort of putting that on the spider people in place of Uncle Ben. Yeah, it's like you can either help me or you can just sit there and watch your friends die. Yeah, which is which is a raw deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not like he can help it. He's like, honestly, this is this is your way out. <laughs> I don't know what else yeah. to say. We don't have a Reed Richards here, so you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what, wonder what happened with that. I don't know. Yeah, this is a good... This is, this is like one of the Sony verses where they didn't have the rights to Reed Richards, so there's just spider people here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, one of those things. I, I'd say like, even Earth-65 is very limited mm-hmm. for sort of roster of heroes. Yeah, they don't even have like an Avengers, do they? No. You don't have an Avengers. They have a Captain America. And the yeah. X-Men were implied. Ooh. X-Men are off somewhere, but they're not very active. They don't... Um, like, they, Luke they have... Cage is active. I like that. <laughs> the X-Men aren't very active. Racism isn't huge in Earth-65, so that's good. Um... <laughs> Well, I I don't I don't I don't know if it's like that. I think it, uh, Earth sixty five is definitely presented as more of um, it's very police statey. It's very yeah. It's like you know sort of, it's it plays a lot with like I think what well, the Ultimate Universe like it's edgier and it's darker and it's almost everyone is jerks. If you see a familiar face, they're probably a villain. That's the angle they go with it, and I think it works. They made a uh, like I think particularly in the first run, it feels very much like its own 
brand, its own earth, it feels unique, and you look forward to learning more about it. It's hard to do that here, I guess, because Gwen is not on Earth 65. Um, but yeah, it's um, like the X-Men, they, they don't play with mutants at all. And when they introduce characters from the X-Men, they are not introduced as mutants. They are introduced as just like mutated or cursed or whatever. Like they're not mutant as the X-Men would have them, you know. But during issue 23, they name dropped the, the Xavier Institute by just saying the mutant school upstate. Yeah, it, d- it does canonically exist, though. So uh, that's that's that. Hence, I was saying it's sort of less active, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got um, Harry Osborn of 3109 as Spider-Man. Yeah. I'll say all I'll say for that is I just like that they switched up a little bit. They just kind of rotated the cast a little bit. And yeah, I thought it was it was neat. It's something different and it definitely enables Peter to be in the position he is. And I like that they had just a moment where they were like the super friends group, just Peter, MJ, Harry and Gwen just being science heroes together. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was neat. Like with uh, Pete and MJ as mission control. Yep. Yeah, that was fun. I thought the the line they had there was a bit sinister. The one from Norman Osborn about power being a tool, but only in the right hands. Like that's not a good thing. That's not um like. That's not what you want to hear. No, and like, and I do think the story is critical of that. And like, we assumed our hands were the right ones, and then everything went wrong. Like mm-hmm. I think, yeah, like that was also even on Harry's gravestone, only in the right hands. Yeah, like it's not. That's not. I. It's a bit. It's very much a perversion. I think of Spider-Man seeing his power as a as an obligation to other people, like as a thing he has to exercise with responsibility and stuff. Whereas power here being a tool that has to be wielded by the right people feels much more. I think hierarchical. It feels less. You know, it's less. Uh, is it the right word egalitarian? It feels like something you'd hear a supervillain say, which is true for Norman Osborn, because, of course, he's a CEO. Um, so there is that. And it feels like, you know, the relationship between Norman and Harry, I feel like that's a very Norman Osborn version of with great power comes great responsibility. That feels like a good twist on that. I think one phrase I've heard him say, in I think it was during the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, was with great power comes great reward. Yes, I remember this. That was more explicitly evil. That was more um, evidently not the right slogan. This one here is a bit murkier. I think it's a bit... It's not showing its full hand in the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've already spoken about MJ. We got Betty and Glory Grant? Yeah. Do you think they were much older than um, Peter and MJ and uh, Gwen 3109? Or do you think roughly the same age? I think... Maybe they're closer to the 616 ages. Mm-hmm. That's the impression I got here, that they were like mid to late 20s, that they'd obviously all finished college, they'd all started their professional careers, uh, and there'd been a couple of years at least for Gwen to be going around to being a goblin. So that's how it sort of works out. And, and I think they raised the age difference because obviously they're, they're trying to figure out why Gwen 65 doesn't look like Gwen 3109 even though she says she's going 31 and 9, but she looks a lot younger. So that comes up and yeah, like I think uh like I like the role as as sort of very conscientious investigative reporters. Like 
I thought that was an interesting take on them. And I feel like that, you know, they've suspected that Harry was Spider-Man for years because I think, um, I don't know who said it to who about owing the other 10 bucks. Yeah, they're clearly onto the whole situation that they sort of, they suspect Harry is Spider-Man, they suspect Gwen is the Goblin, because obviously I think, you know, a good investigative journalist would be able to put together, you know, like the death date with, you right. know, the two characters there and the missing date with Gwen and stuff so that would all line up it's the whole idea of like oh Superman's dead and also Clark Kent is missing I wonder if these two things are related (laughs) or if like a Nolan fleeing Earth is also the same day that Nolan died convenient they both have the same mustache oh of course from Invincible I don't know why I blanked on that um yeah (laughs) See, yes, um, I love that I said mustache, and you're like, oh, yes, Invincible, of course, obviously. <laughs> yeah, um, right, yeah. Like, I'm just wondering if Nolan's ever been out in public as Nolan Grayson and being called out for looking like Omni-Man. If he did, that person did not live to see tomorrow. <laughs> oh, my days. Oh, no. Here, I was thinking that just a lot of people hadn't noticed, but maybe it's just a long trail of people who have seen... Nolan in person and also seen Omni-Man in person. Because um, as Nolan, he's um, known with his uh, travel novels. So you'd think that he'd do some book signings and stuff. He'd do some traveling for his travel novels. Yeah. Traveling on a budget. Be a superhero with flying powers. That works. <laughs> yeah. So along similar lines, they've... They are suspecting the secret identities of Spider-Man and the Goblin. And um, and yeah, so I think, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice way to work them in there. Like, I liked at the end of it, it had the sort of the full, the full cast was sort of present. They had the Mary Janes, they had Harry, and they had Gwen, which is sort of Gwen's core, at least among her peers anyway. That's her core cast. So yeah, that was nice. I like that. They, uh, that Maguire found a way to work all those characters in together there. Yeah, I think... Um... Like, one of those rare instances where her main cast, well, at least a version of her main cast is all in the same story together. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah, it's a nice little way of tying it all together there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, We've got a couple of comments here. The first comment that we got was um, from at Balseca Ricky. And this was kind of already addressed before, but the question was, are the Gwen and MJ of this universe implied to be together? Yes. Yes. We, yeah. we came to the conclusion it was a yes on that one. That was the, yep. Even, for not, even if not, they are now. We have now implied it. Yeah. Yes. Gwen, MJ forever. Yep. Yep. Um, in fact, they, they may even, yeah. I still think that ship is on the books for the main, for Earth-65 in the main sort of line. If they ever progress the run, that would definitely... Like, even though it's um unrequited? Maybe. I, wait, what? I mean, not, not necessarily. It could be... Because um... remember, um, Gwen thought that she was so vain, she thought that MJ's newest song was about her. That, I love that. That was really cool. Because I read the beginning of the next issue, so... I think that's where that that line came from. That issue, right? Issue five. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's actually as a reference to a song. That's um, Carly Simon. 
Yes, it's Carly Simon's You're So Vain, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, there's definitely a tension between these two characters. Like, they have a strong emotional connection, but they're very frustrated all of the time. So, um, with each other specifically. And, and, and I do think, yeah, like, the, there is a very strong case, I think, to be made for that ship on Earth-65. Um, but yeah, as well in Earth-3109, even more so, because, yeah, they're doing more stuff in the subtext. So yeah, there's that. And we have uh, Laura, who... Uh, listeners will remember from guesting on the all-new Wolverine annual episode, who gives the comment, sad, exclamation mark, gay people, exclamation mark, yeah, exclamation mark. That about um, sums it up. (laughs) I am, we thank Laura for for her insight there. That's really... That is like some point Laura insight. (laughs) That is Mm -hmm. in character. That's perfect. Very good. We love it. We love to see it. Um... Yeah, if anybody else would like to submit comments and stuff for future episodes, uh, do give the arcs a read in advance. But then also, if you send in your thoughts via Twitter or email, or even as a Reddit thread we throw up every now and then, you can have your comments read out on the episode just like that. So yeah, do we want to give our concluding thoughts? Yeah, I think it's um, about time we wrap this up with our final thoughts. Yeah, okay, cool. I feel like I go first every week, and I take all of the main points. So, <laughs> like, uh, and since you're a guest here, do you want to give your uh, concluding thoughts? Sure. I just, I'm glad that this was an arc I eventually came around on. I'm glad that even though it was caused by Spider Geddon, I'm glad it stood on its own. And um, I like that it had so many interesting little parts. I like the the bits with um the Gwen Goblin. I liked the commentary on Gwen's dealings with her own trauma. And how death kind of haunts her. And I like that it sets that up to be a theme to be continued onwards. And issue number four is just spectacular from start to finish. I think, if anything, just issue four makes this whole arc worth it. Absolutely. Like, um, I also think that this was also one of the arcs that I probably I would consider that I read to death. Because I love the premise so much. You know, Gwen fighting a variant of herself, which is irony you know, considering the circumstances of 616. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just for her, this is also kind of personal to her, even though they just met, because remember one of the comments um, that she made to Goblin is um, where Gwen Stacy in any reality, we don't give up. And I thought that was, um, you know, very touching to the Goblin mm-hmm. because 65 thinks that 3109 can be so much better than being this crazed lunatic breaking things all the time and also with number four it's also a good way with you know dealing with her five stages of grief because like i said before she was in her acceptance stage but then because of all these deaths um she was um regressed back to depression just because of you know mourning billy and uh peter noir and karn and this is just me, you know, coming off of watching WandaVision a few months ago. When you think about it, Gwen really did go through all these uh, stages. Like you could say that, you know, the beginning of her run was her denial. And then, well, anger was like all Gwenum. I think some stages were being switched around. The bargaining was the deal that she made for Murdoch. The depression was her time in prison and probably overarching her ongoing and then at the end of 34 and spider getting numbers uh one to three and uh, at the end of four you know it's all about acceptance because she came to terms with um 
all the death that has been done, and she came to terms with her new status quo, so to speak. Nice. I think, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I love the way that plays with themes of tragedy and, and how we move on with the memories of, of those who we've lost. I think that really sticks mm-hmm. out. Number four is the second, like, in my eyes, after Edge of Spider-Verse, number two being her debut, like, like peak Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider-Comics. And, and really, like I said it earlier, like, this is a good sort of starting sort of point for Gwen, because obviously you have this sort of those themes and you has you have a sort of nice rounded uh, standard superhero story in there as well and it's a good it's a good place to start i'm, I'm looking forward to getting into more of this uh arc looking at more of this sort of status quo that uh mcguire starts to explore really and with this particular supporting cast as well um yeah and and you know as has been said before it, it's surprisingly well self-contained i think for a tie-in arc it all sort of fits together nicely and um yeah i'm i'm really glad we got to do this and i'm, I'm really glad we got to have uh Anon to join us for this uh for this episode it's been it's been really good i'm so glad you guys had me this was fantastic it was just like i i love gwen stacy as a character and i've been dying to talk about her a little bit more my experience with her has just been so scattered it's hard to find that place to fit in where it's like i like this character but i haven't really read any of her runs all the way through so like you know it's hard to find that jumping on point yeah and um you know it's yeah it's it's one of those things i guess i'm i'm yeah but i'm I'm glad you like the character and i'm I'm glad you've you've sort of found a nice footing here with this arc yeah any place where i can start is great so i'm very excited to see where i go after this i want to finish this run and the one that comes after it which sounds like it's just the same run with two different titles but yeah it's boatloads of fun yeah (laughs) exactly Yeah. yeah no 20, 20 issue ongoing um okay. plus yeah. one annual and one mini spinning out of it just well just a tie-in with king and black anyway but overall <laughs> 23 issues of mcguire stuff yeah okay yeah that sounds pretty good to me with marvel you gotta be ready to roll with those weird punches so i think i am yeah revive ghost spider if you're listening <laughs> yes please please um yeah i asked you for that reading list it is I will send you the link and it's going to be in the show notes as well for listeners, but yeah. Awesome. Uh, Cause it, it gets weird at this point, the reading list it's yeah. They had all of the shenanigans, but yeah. Uh, but it is sort of chronological as well. So that works. Should I introduce next week's? Yeah. Start the whole spiel for wrapping up. Yep. Okie dokie. Yeah. So next week we are reading the next arc. The next trade of this run is called Impossible Year. Now it collects issues five to 10. That is sort of the full arc, but because number 10 actually dovetails more into the next run, we're just going to do five to nine. That's the main bit. That's her sort of whole, that's her beefing with Manwolf. That's what that's what we're doing for next week. Uh, next week we're going to be looking at Gwen beefing with the Manwolf of Earth sixty five and all of the fun stuff to do with that. We'll get to see more of Harry Osborn. We'll get to see more of uh, stuff with the symbiote, and and we'll be looking forward to talking about that. So yeah, like I said, issue number ten of that arc with the rename with the Earth six one six stuff. That's all going to go in a future episode after that one probably so we'll, we'll discuss all that with uh, with the dog days are over arc which is hugo nominated hugo nominated dog days are over arc that's right um we'll put uh, like i said earlier we'll put the links in the description for where to buy uh where to read that reading list particularly uh, and the comiXology link is is useful because at least you know even if you don't buy on comiXology you can you can go find it on amazon or wherever and you mm-hmm. know what it looks like so yeah and, and again 
please send us your thoughts on the impossible year arc spider gwen goes spider issues five to nine what do you think of it uh, and we'll read out your thoughts on the podcast episode so yeah all right um i think that's it oh also we have a coffee now if you want to help pay for the Podbean subscription um then we have a coffee setup so yeah you can you can send us money on there um but yeah it's been good our handle is at gs groupies on twitter if you want to tweet us our email is ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com if you'd like to email us if you've got anything you'd like to plug before we close out here and you're, you're always doing a bunch of really interesting stuff i'm always doing things so if you you can find me always on twitter just at and comics and i also have a patreon if you want to hear me talk more about comics and get a little taste of some of my own personal writings you can check me out at patreon just at carol ann comics and we have some fun tiers for anyone who'd be willing to help me out all the money goes to help like my transition because it's very expensive medical bills are not fun so any assistance there is always appreciated and i promise to bring you all the fun nerdy goodies i can so yeah that's what i'm up to also feel free to check out my podcast over at the comics collective with lexi taylor and dallas taylor that's at CMX Collective on Twitter, and you can find us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. So next week, very we're talking podcast. about Neil Gaiman and JRJR's Eternals. So it should be very fun. Great awesome. stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, and comics and Twitter, Patreon, and at the Comics Collective. Exactly. Great stuff. Would recommend all, all three of those top tier, top tier stuff, all there. Very good. Very good. Thank you very um, much. Thank you for being here, Anne. Oh, no, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Always um, good to talk yeah. to some friends. Yeah, thanks, Anne. Thanks, Abigail. It's been a good episode. I'm Pex. I've been Abigail. And I'm Anne. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.